Today is not going to be your normal Thanksgiving message. I know we should probably be preaching about Psalm 100 and all those other psalms that tell us and remind us to give thanks to the Lord. But today I want to talk about something, a special way that I believe that as Christians we should be truly giving thanks to God. And it's entitled, Don't Be Lukewarm, Be Committed. Don't be lukewarm, be committed. As the Apostle John was writing the revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches that were in Asia, he was told to single out one particular church and tell them this. I know your works, Jesus said, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now that's some pretty graphic language coming from the mouth of Jesus. But it's an accurate image of how Jesus feels about believers who refuse to be committed. Now, if you want to know what lukewarm means, a lukewarm person would be a person who refuses to take a stand for the cause of Christ. A lukewarm believer would be one who just doesn't get involved in the workings of God here on earth. A lukewarm believer would be one that really just doesn't want to make a difference in the world we live in. They'd be a person who isn't really interested in the Word of God or the things that God wants to do. It'd be a person who is really kind of self-satisfied, self-centered, self-absorbed. The crux of being lukewarm is being uncommitted. Uncommitted. Now, we are called to commit to many things throughout our lives. Sometimes and often, we're called to commit to things in a single day. And committing can be difficult. Because I understand, often you don't know how the things you're committing to are going to turn out. You just kind of got to go out there on blind faith and say, okay, I'm going to commit to it. Hopefully it'll turn out. But listen, when it comes to the rapture of the Lord's church, when it comes to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, you can be absolutely committed to that fact. You see, when it comes to Jesus Christ coming for his own, we can obediently wait not only with courage, but with absolute confidence in what the Word of God says. So, the Bible tells us that as we get closer to the end of the age, life on planet Earth is going to get much more perilous. Life on Earth is going to grow much more intense. Life on Earth 
is going to get much more turbulent with every passing day. Therefore, as believers in Christ Jesus, as Christians, as Christ ones, we need to be prepared. We must be prepared for the Lord's return. We must learn to stay centered on Christ. We must learn to stay confident in his word. We must learn to stay connected with the church. We must learn, friend, to remain compassionate toward other people. And in a nutshell, we must remain committed to the faith. Committed. Now, every message that you've heard from me in this series, we found a correlation between the way that we should be living as Christians and the return of Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, today is no different. Today, in James chapter 5, that's on page 1075, and the Bible's in front of you if you want to follow along with me. Just two verses today in James chapter 5. Now, if you didn't know it, James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they had the same mama, but they had different daddies. Somebody say amen. Okay? So James, to me, of course, as a, the, one of the leaders of the early church, really has a profound way of speaking about things that's different from some of the others. So in James chapter 5, page 1075, in the Bible's in front of you, listen to what James writes. In verse 7, he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When James says, Brethren, be patient. What does he mean? What you need to understand is, James isn't talking about the kind of patience that you need to have when you're stuck in traffic. He's not talking about the kind of patience you need when you're dealing with the Social Security Administration. He's not talking about the kind of patience you need when you're at the DMV. He's not talking about the kind of patience you need when you're in a line at Walmart a mile long at Christmas time. The patience that James is talking about is the kind of patience that we as believers need to have as we obediently wait for Jesus to come get us. That kind of patience manifests itself in commitment. Patiently committing to the Lord's return and what he wants us to do in the meantime. The great theologian J.I. Packer really hit the nail on the head when he said this about patience. He said, patience means to trust that God orders everything for our spiritual good. And therefore, he is worthy of our commitment. Patience, it just doesn't grin and bear it. Patience 
humbly accepts all things, knowing that God is ultimately orchestrating all things for the believer's good. I mean, it's a piece of cake, y'all, to live in times of prosperity when everything is good, but times of lack, times of difficulty require intensely more patience, intensely more commitment. The people that James was writing to, they were enduring some very turbulent times. They were being persecuted just for being Christians. They were being deprived of everyday necessities just to live. The people that James was writing to were actually being driven from their homeland. They certainly needed patience as they waited for the coming of the Lord. But you know something that I've learned this week is that sometimes... It takes a difficult circumstance to help me focus on what's important. Sometimes it takes life getting tough to get me to focus on who's most important. I may want to be more patient, but few people like the idea that patience is primarily learned through difficult circumstances. Think about it. I wish there was another way, but there's not. Difficult circumstances is the only place you need patience. I'm horrible in traffic, y'all. And now that they got that mess going on, going into Florence, oh my heavens. It's horrible. 35 miles an hour, and most of them people run 20. And it's stretching my patience. But difficult circumstances is the only place that I need patience. And listen to this. Difficult circumstances is the only place you learn patience. I'm learning patience because it's going to be that way all through Christmas. Sometimes believers pray like Brother Bill. Lord, deliver me from this traffic. Deliver me and get me through this traffic jam. Deliver me from this difficult circumstance that I'm in. The people that James was writing to were probably praying that way. Deliver us, Lord. It's too hard to bear. Come back now. But you know, when we pray that way, what happens is, is that we dismiss what God might want to do for us in the midst of that difficult circumstance. Yeah, I'm sitting there stuck at 35 going into Florence, and y'all, I'm learning patience. I don't like it, but I'm learning it. Be careful how you pray. Be careful how you pray because God will allow difficult circumstances in your life only long enough to help you get your priorities in order. Here's what I've learned about that traffic. That's a great time to pray. 
I'm on praying fool on, on, 70, on Florence Boulevard going into Florence. So be careful how you pray because God wants to get your priorities in order. Let us learn before the turbulent times come that we don't need to get too wrapped up in the things of the world. How many of y'all know that everything you have and everything you see is passing away? Everything. Everything is passing away. So what is the Lord's instruction about commitment. I mean, in a nutshell, it's, hey, keep your eyes focused on heaven. That's where your true home is. Keep your eyes focused on heaven. Stay patient and stay committed to the things that have eternal value. The things that will last long past this world. Long past anything you can see. See, that's what our Savior Jesus did. Jesus was committed, committed to things that have eternal value. So that's the instruction, the Lord's instruction about commitment. But James also offers us a really unique illustration about commitment. I mean, could there be a more perfect illustration about both commitment and patience than a farmer? The farmer sows his seed, and then he has to wait for it. I would be the worst farmer because I'm not a good waiter. There at the end of verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Tradition holds that both James and his brother Jude were farmers. And so as farmers, they knew something about sowing seed and then waiting for the harvest. But something they also knew about is the importance of the early and the latter rain. You see, the early rains came in the fall, and they softened up the ground so that you could plant the seed. But then the latter rains came in April or May, and they ripened the harvest. So farmers then, like farmers today, had no control over the rain. They just had to wait. The return of Christ is something we have no power over. We don't have any control over when Jesus is coming for us. We simply have to wait for God. Wait for God to accomplish his harvest of souls that he's working on as we speak according to his timetable, what's called the latter rain. Now, in the meantime, we need to be sowing seed. There's something more for us to learn than just about how we should patiently wait for the return of Christ. Because in the meantime, you and I need to be sowing good seed. We sow our seed. We wait for that seed. The early rains come. The latter rains come. And then the harvest comes. Amen. All while we're waiting for Jesus to return. Say, Bill, I ain't got no seed. I ain't no farmer. 
The seed I'm talking about is the seed of love you have. If you want love to grow around you, then you need to be sowing some love. If things are depressing in your circle, maybe you need to start sowing some joy. Sowing seeds of joy. If things ain't happening as fast as you think they ought to happen, maybe you need to plant the seed of effort. If you're dealing with kids, maybe you need the seed of energy. Amen? Maybe you need to take the seed that God gave you, the seed of abilities, the seed of talent, the seed of spiritual gift, and maybe you need to plant it. Let God water it. And one day, he'll bring a harvest as a result of it. But remember this too. Believers back in James' day, they were only 30 years past Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven. 30 years. They had no idea that there would be those of us still waiting 2,000 years later, and we still don't know when Jesus is coming. 2,000 years. I mean, but that's not so bad. Think about the ones who had to wait for the first coming of Christ. Do you know that the Messiah is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? Not by name, but as the one who would conquer the enemy, put his heel on his head. From there, from Genesis 3.15 to the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2, listen to this, 4,000 years. 4,000 years they waited. Think about all those prophets of the Old Testament that said time and time again, the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, he's on his way, he's coming soon. Over and again, but they never lived to see it. You see, we're not the only ones, y'all. We're not the only ones who had to stay committed. We're not the only ones who had to be patient while waiting for God's plan to unfold. But as there were in the Old Testament, there are today countless critics. Countless critics that have been living in the waiting years and they say the same thing. Where's this promise of yours? Where's this promise of the Savior's coming? But Peter said, scoffers will come in the last days. And Peter's answer to those scoffers is this in 2 Peter chapter 3. But beloved, don't you forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. He said, the Lord is not slack. He ain't slow. Concerning his promise, as some count slowness. No, God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any, say any, any should perish. But that all, say all, but that all would come to repentance. That's how much God loves people. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all 
to come to repentance. Do you know a scoffer like Peter was describing? A critic who's constantly saying, where's this Savior of yours? What do you mean coming again? What do you mean the Lord's going to return? Well, we would expect to hear from a lot more than what we're hearing from, seeing that we are in the last days where Peter said we should hear much from scoffers who will be in the last days. But you know what Peter taught us about that one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day? What Peter teaches us there is, is if you try to measure God's activity on a human timetable, you a fool. We can't measure God's activity on a human timetable. Especially human time is totally irrelevant to God. It's totally irrelevant to God. I heard it said that God lives in an eternal moment. An eternal moment. For God, there is only an eternal now. There's no past. There's no present, no future with God. He sees the entire scope of history past, the entire scope of eternity future in one moment. God don't have no clock. God don't have no calendar. He simply lives according to his own purposes. I read a story about an atheist. A man don't even believe in God. His name was Rob Ingersoll. And Ingersoll used to travel all over the United States ridiculing Christianity. He would often look at his watch and he would challenge God to strike him dead in the next five minutes for all the sins that he had committed. And he would wait, and he would wait, and he would wait for five minutes to pass. And when nothing happened, he would declare to his audience, there, God does not exist. Well, there's a preacher at one of his demonstrations, and that preacher said, did this guy believe for a second that he could exhaust the patience of an eternal God in five minutes? He's a fool. He's a fool. And we are fools too if we think that we can put an eternal God into a box. We are fools if we think that we can put an eternal God on a human timetable. We are fools, friend. To demand that God conform to my expectations. Fools. It'd just be much better for us to humble ourselves before God and to stay committed to his purposes and stay committed to being someone who glorifies God. So having heard the Lord's instruction about commitment and hearing this classic Lord's illustration about commitment, James offers us the Lord's implication about commitment. In other words, James, where are you heading with this? Well, there are two things that we can expect to happen as, as long as we stay patient and stay committed to the Lord's return. 
One, you're going to develop some confidence. And two, you're going to develop some courage. As you wait, you will develop confidence. Verse 8 says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. How many of you know that Christianity ain't for wimps? Amen? Christianity is not for the weak-hearted. Establish your hearts. Because the closer we come to the end of this age, the more we're going to need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because we're not going to be able to do it ourselves. Friend, this is the time for us to grow more confident in the Lord's sovereignty. It's time for us to grow more confident in the providence of God, more confident in the control of the Lord over this world and over everything that's happening in this world. We're not to be patiently blind. We're to be actively confident. And having a confident faith in the Lord, he'll have all the answers that you don't. I mean, we all have questions, don't we? Questions that have no answers. Lord, why is this happening? Lord, how long is it going to last? Lord, when are you coming back to get us? Questions that have no answers. But those unanswered questions, they just reinforce the truth, friend, that we are those who walk by faith and not by sight. You're not going to see it on this side of heaven. But you can have faith that it will happen according to the Lord's will. See, all we know for sure, really, is what Pastor Ray Steadman once said. He said, we have a relationship that cannot be taken away. Why? Because we're children of God. He said, we have a righteousness that can't be dulled. Why? Because it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have a resource that never fades away. And that resource is the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We have a peace that will never end. Why? Because it's the peace of God himself. Friend, we have a love that never lets go. Why? Because it's the unconditional love of God. We have a sovereign Lord who never loses control. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And the fact that he is the king of kings, the fact that he is the Lord of lords, is the reason why we can confidently stay committed to the Lord's work until such time as he comes to get us. Friend, we don't know what the future holds, but we certainly know who holds the future. We'll develop some confidence. But you know something else we'll develop? We'll develop some courage. As we wait. Both verses, 7 and 8, the, James focuses on the Lord's return, the Lord's second coming. And because we have confidence from the Bible that he is coming, we can have courage to face whatever comes until such time as he gets here. Confidence and courage. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Don't you be scared. I got this. Don't be troubled. Man, that gives me courage because that means that wherever he is, that's where I'm going to be too. Let not your heart be troubled because of what you hear on the news. Let not your heart be troubled because of the rumors of wars 
and all the evil and the corruption and the crime that's going on. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus has got this. And friend, if you've read the Bible, you know how that story ends. Listen to me. God wins. Somebody say amen. God wins. And because God wins, guess what? His children win too. This is the way it works. And that should give us great courage. Great courage in the midst of turbulent times. So don't be lukewarm. Don't be half-hearted. Instead, be committed. Be committed to the cause of Christ. If you would, pull out those bulletins that are in front of you. I want you to see something. The focus of this message, obviously, is being committed. But you say, I want be committed to what? Well, first of all, there's a cross there. We ought to be committed to the cause of Christ until such time as Jesus returns. But what else should we be committed to? We should be committed to the church, the body of Christ. Be committed to the body of Christ until such time as Jesus comes for us. And then the last picture is the picture of the world. We should be committed to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ until such time as he comes to get us. Be committed. God wins. Don't be lukewarm. Be committed. Keep your focus on heaven. Stay committed to the things, friend, that have eternal value, not the things of this world. It's so easy to get tied up and wrapped up in the things of this world. Just like the farmer has to wait, so too must we wait. With confidence, with courage. Wait for Christ to come get us. And that I don't care how, what the scoffers have to say. I don't care how much the scoffers make fun of us. We're going to wait confidently. And when you stay committed to Christ in the face of turbulent times, you're going to develop that confidence and courage I'm talking about. And you're going to learn that God wins. And because God wins, you win. Now, how many of you know that Jesus was committed to you? I said earlier that when he was being crucified, he was thinking of you. See, God has that capability. That's not a figure of speech. That's a fact. God had you on his mind when he was hanging on the cross. But Jesus was also committed to fulfilling the mission that his father had given him on earth. And I just have to say, how thankful should we be for Christ's commitment? At Thanksgiving, we always have our Lord's Supper. And at this particular Thanksgiving Lord's Supper, I want us to remember what we're really thankful for. In Psalm 92, the psalmist said, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Somebody say amen. It's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. As I was preparing for this, I started going over in my mind the things that I'm thankful for. But especially in regard to my Savior. 
And I concluded that I am thankful that Jesus was willing to step out of the glory of heaven and come to a sin-stained place that humanity had turned it into. I'm thankful. But I'm also thankful that Jesus was willing to teach and to preach the lessons of life and the lessons of heaven to those of us who are prideful and hard-headed and rebellious. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful that Jesus was willing to endure that hellish week of brutality and kangaroo courts and treated like a common criminal. I'm so thankful that Jesus was willing to bear the insufferable weight of sin of the world upon his loving shoulders. I'm thankful that Jesus would allow his body to be beaten beyond recognition so that mine would not be. I'm thankful that Jesus would allow his blood to be shed to cover the multitude, the multitude of my sin. You know, all we can say, and <clears throat> it seems so inadequate, is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Luke 22, the Bible says that when his hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And Jesus said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, listen, before I suffer. Knowing what was going to happen, but knowing where he was headed. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. Y'all with me? He gave thanks. He gave thanks because he knew he was doing it for you. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. As the Lord was instituting this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, he provided for you and I this interactive way for us to see and remember how the Father used the Lord Jesus to save me and you from the dreadful penalty of sin. He used two common household items, items that the disciples would use every day, bread and wine. And then he explained briefly what those two items symbolized, what they represented. Friends, there are cups in front of you. If you would, just take that cup and invert it. And if you would, open the bottom and you'll find a little piece of unleavened bread. And if you would, just hold that up and show me that you're with me, okay? Everybody got it? In verse 19, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks for me, for you, and he broke it. 
and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brother Kevin, would you pray for the body of Christ, brother? us, Lord, that we meant through you, Lord, have eternal life, Lord. We're thankful. Lord, Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll go before us this week, Lord, just remind us of how thankful we are, Lord, of what you've done for us, Yes. how you've shown us, Lord, Lord, how you've gave of yourself for us, Lord. Lord, we're grateful, and we thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's partake together. If you would carefully open up the juice portion. And I just hold that up so I can see that you're with me. Amen. In verse 20, the Bible says, Likewise, Jesus also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, new covenant, the new promise of God. In my blood, which is shed for you. Brother How, would you give thanks for the blood? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just mm. thank you so much for what you've given to us. Yes. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Yes. And dear God, we thank you for shedding your blood on that cross and giving to us life and life more abundantly. Yes. Dear God, we're so thankful for that. We take this. We take this now in in remembrance of of you, yes, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know when we hear of how incredibly committed Jesus was, and Jesus is to us. Does it quicken your hearts? And make you want to be more committed to him? Boy, it sure does to me. Today during this decision time, if you're ready to give your life to the one who gave his for you, by all means, please come. You just let me know, and I'll tell you what the scriptures say about how you can be eternally saved from the penalty of sin. But on a special day like today, this may sound crazy, but it won't sound crazy to y'all. Today, I want to invite you all to the altar. I want to invite you all. You can come and you can kneel. You can sit on the stage. You can stand. You can sit in the pews, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But I want to ask you all, ask us all as a family to come forward and let us together Give thanks to the one who died for us, and listen to me, and who's coming again. Let me pray for you. Father God, we rejoice at this opportunity to give thanks as a family. Lord, we give praise, and we rejoice, Father, in this opportunity, Father, to worship you. And I pray, Lord, if there's one who stands in need of salvation, 
Lord, if they're honest with themselves, they're not heaven-bound. If they were to die today, Lord, they would be eternally separated from you, and nobody would want that. Father, I pray that if there's one that needs to come and give their life to you, who gave his life for them, Lord, they would come indeed. But Lord, for this precious family of God, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name, Father, to hear our words of thanks, to hear our praises, and to hear our gratitude as we pray as a family. God, we love you, and we are indeed indebted to you, and we're grateful for everything you've done. Lord, you guide us now as we worship together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's all stand. Thank you.